I'm Karen. And I'm Michelle. We're sisters. And homeschool moms. Welcome to the Layers of Learning podcast. Where we talk about family style homeschooling. Today we're going to talk about guiding your kids and what it means to be a guide in their education. Hi, I'm Karen and I'm here with Michelle. Hello. Michelle, how do you think parents can be a guide for their children? I think it's a real mindset change. It is so much easier to just do things yourself. But if you want to be a guide, you have to take things slow sometimes, let your kids make mistakes. You have to say, you have to sit there and you have to walk them through every step of the process. When I taught my children how to use a sharp knife, they were really young. I I teach my kids to do stuff early because I want them to be capable and competent. So I would teach them, hold the handle in your right hand. They're all right-handed. And put your other hand flat. Make your fingers go really flat and set it on top of the blade. And I went through every tiny step of how to cut with a sharp knife. It would have been easier just to cut the potatoes myself. But I taught them how to do it because later I wanted them to be able to do it on their own, to be competent. And if you're guiding your children, that's the end goal. You're, you're helping them to be their own person and to do things on their own down the road. Some of the ways that you'll end up guiding your kids are actually providing them with other mentors and guides. I don't actually have a great interest in all of the things that my kids are interested in. And I really don't have the time nor the capability to teach them every single thing, especially as they are getting older. They're starting to get more diverse interests. My son is loving learning to weld. Well, not only do I not weld, I don't want to weld. It's it's not something that I am interested in, and I don't want to do it, quite frankly. But he is really getting interested in it, and he just turned 17, so I said, okay, if you want to weld, let's see if we know anyone who welds. And now there's a guy in our neighborhood who is kind of taking him under his wing and teaching him to weld. And he's really, really enjoyed that. So I'm not going to be able to teach my kids everything, but as a guide, I can guide them to resources, to people, to avenues where they can learn the things that they're interested in. And I still did my job without ever having to weld. And so that being a guide works in two ways to help them own their learning. First of all, they become capable of doing things on their own so that they can then learn on their own. I mean, if, if you never teach them how to go look up something online, they will never be able to go look up something online. You have to sometimes go through all the dumb steps that you have to remember, okay, what do you have to actually do? Turn on the computer. I mean, sometimes you have to break it down that far. And that's important to note. You're guiding the process. A, a teacher who's just teaching is going to teach the facts. But a guide is guiding the process so that they so can they, do it. Yeah, on they their become own. they become capable on their own, which is really I, that's so much my parenting style. I do not like to have to do things for my kids, and I like them to be useful. Like that's the biggest compliment that my kids can get is you're competent. They love hearing they're competent. <laughs> so, <laughs> the second way when you're a guide is that you are guiding your child's interests, not necessarily your own interests, you're guiding their interests. So you help them find the resources they need to learn welding or auto mechanic repair or basket weaving or whatever it is that their interests are that don't necessarily match up with yours. You can help them find the books, the videos, the teachers. You're guiding them in taking off on their own interests, not just whatever you're learning in homeschool or your own life. So I have a homeschool mom friend, and I loved 
visiting with her, but nothing was better than when she told me the story of when she was in labor. She was like one of those moms that was always the homeschool mom, just always on top of things. And she went into labor with her seventh child. And while she was in labor, but hadn't yet gone to the hospital, her son said to her that he wanted to learn how to do computer programming. So in labor, having contractions, she went to the library and she got him a book on computer programming. I can't remember which language, but one of the introductory languages and brought it back to him. She said, by the time I got home from the hospital with that baby, he was computer programming. <laughs> that's, that's extreme. I'm not that dedicated. I'm not going that far. I'd be like, be quiet and leave me alone. But <laughs> I'm breathing. I'm breathing. <laughs> but, but it was kind of an awesome example of, you know, she wasn't available to teach him, but she didn't need to. She guided him. She, she did what he needed in order to learn. So that's your job. You're not actually going to teach every single thing. You are going to guide in the ways that you need to in the processes so that your kids own that learning. I think that's really important that you're not actually doing it for them. As soon as you start doing things for your kids, they're not learning at all anymore. You're just getting it done. You can even take control of something that they initially had an interest in and you can kill it by doing that. So it's important to... Just give them enough that they can take off on their own. And that's what guiding does. It gives them just enough, enough direction, enough help, enough understanding of the process that they can then go off on their own. I think oftentimes homeschool parents feel like they have to be really good at a subject in order to teach it to their kids. But one of the cool principles about guiding is that you don't have to be good at every subject. And in fact, I think that sometimes you are the most effective guide when you are not great at the subject because you understand what it takes to teach that process. Things that come really naturally to you are really hard for you to break down into steps and teach your kids. But if something is more challenging, then in your mind, you had to break it down. And so you're more able to do that for others too. And you also can understand the struggle. Yes. I, I have had so many math teachers that like they just get math and, and they, they understand the numbers so in such a instinctive way that they are terrible at explaining it. I actually went all through school, clear through college, clear through calculus, and I really didn't understand a thing about math. Got B's and everything, but I didn't understand anything. And it wasn't until I started teaching my own kids and I had to think through and break down the process for myself and then I was able to help them break it down. I'm actually getting still getting better at that. I'm still practicing that skill asking them questions and helping them find the process. That is something that I'm still learning, but I think that that's part of what is being a guide. And, and it's okay to not be good at it at first. It's okay to have to practice that process because you're learning too. Yes. It's actually requiring more thinking to happen when you're guiding and you're not good at something. You're invested in it and the kid gets invested in it. And it's a partnership. Both of you are learning but you still get the guide role as in, you know, you're not just going to let them say, this is really hard. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> you're still in charge, but you're providing what they need to succeed. Uh, we've talked before. We've touched on the growth mindset before. This is so important. And I think this comes right in with guiding because like Karen said, you're not going to let them just quit. The, the whole point is. Like when I was in school, I felt like I was really bad at math. I always, I was bad at math and that's just the way it was. That was definitely not a growth mindset that I had. 
But after I started teaching my own kids, now I feel like I'm good at math. Well, how did I get there? How did I go from being bad at math to being good at math? I learned and I had guides in the form of textbooks that helped me. And I thought through the processes, but you can help your kids to develop that growth mindset. You don't have to be good at something at the beginning in order to enjoy it. You can, it's okay to learn and make mistakes and get better and you can become really good at things. I often tell my kids that they're good at things that they think they struggle at. So for example, I have a little son who really struggles with reading. And every time he reads, I say, you are a reader and give him a high five. And I want him to know that I believe in his ability and that I know he can do it. And that's part of being a guide too, is being a cheerleader. You want to be giving those messages to your kids that they are capable, that they can do this, even when something is hard for them. That's part of guiding is being that that person who buoys them up when they're a little bit down because something's hard. Because I, I've seen this quote around online that you are the voice inside your child's head. That's the voice they hear. And if you can praise their hard work and praise their... Their process. Their right? process, right. You're, you're praising their process. Wow, you worked hard on that. I'm impressed with you. Rather than you're just a natural, you know, you're naturally good at this. Because at some point they're going to come across where they're not good at. Like maybe they've always been, they've always felt like, I'm so good at math. And then they hit algebra and all of a sudden they're not good at math. Well, I'm no longer good at math. I give up. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's kind of, you don't want to create that that idea where you are or are not something. You want to create this idea where you can grow and learn and become better. And, and you're guiding that inner voice in their head and you're guiding their processes and you're guiding their their next steps forward. And that leads right into talking about choices it's important to give your children choices. We talked about how, how Tyler is into welding. Well, that was his choice. But Karen didn't just say, well, I'm not into welding, so we don't get to do that. She let him have that choice, and he got to choose that. But we want to go even further with that to where in, during our school day, we're actually letting our children have some choices. So a lot of people believe in child-led education, like entirely letting kids dictate what what they're going to be learning about all of the time. And we actually don't really subscribe to that mindset. We give our kids tons of choices, but we don't give them a blank slate of all of the world of knowledge and say, what do you want to learn about today? And it's not that that's not valuable for them to think about what they want to learn about, but it's very much like giving a blank piece of paper to them and telling them just write and not giving any direction or any information. That's actually it can be very paralyzing for many kids. Yeah, well, it's like it's like we're going to go back to ancient Egypt because my favorite topic. <laughs> no, but we'll just use that as an example. So if you if your kids have never read a book about ancient Egypt, they don't know anything about it, and you say to them, "Well, what do you think the pyramids were used for?" There's nothing. There's there. nothing there. They have nothing to build on. So that's not what we're talking about. We're, when we mean cho- choices, we mean that they get to choose between options. So incredibly often at the beginning of a unit when we're starting any learning unit I take out our layers of learning book and we kind of thumb through it together and I might have some things that I know I want to do with my kids I'll have a few explorations chosen I generally get the library books without a lot of their input sometimes I take them to the library but We have a library system where I have to reserve them from other libraries and then they come into our library. So if I just perused our small library, I wouldn't find very much. So I choose most of the books and I do go through and pick a lot of the videos that we will look at. But 
I sit there with the kids, with the unit book, and I say, hey, here are a few explorations. And we read through them together. And I say, let me know if one sounds really good to you, if that's the one that you want to do. And sometimes my kids will together choose one that they all want to do together. And sometimes one kid wants to do this and another kid wants to do that. And then we just kind of work side by side on the explorations that they chose. But they have a lot of say in what we're going to be doing. Now, I didn't open up the entire world of knowledge to them and say, what do you want to learn about? But I said, we are going to be learning about flowering plants from these flowering plant explorations and experiments. Which one would you like to do? And then they get to have some choice there. Yeah, and then another way you can incorporate choices is you can say, we're going to do a writing project about the country of Iran. And you can say, here are some different types of writing projects we could do. Which which one do you want to do? Do you want to do a persuasive essay? Do you want to do a poster with captions and pictures? Do you want to do a travel journal? You can give them a topic, but then give them choices on how to present it or how to learn about it. Sometimes our choices are even more limited than that. So this past year, I was doing year four with my kids. And during the Civil War unit in Unit 4-7... There's an exploration in there about Civil War animals, about the animals that were mascots for the soldiers. And so I told my kids, hey, I want you to go and choose a Civil War animal to create a project on. And so that actually required them going and looking up several Civil War animals so that they could choose from one. They kind of did more work than they would have if I had not offered the choice. If I said, you're going to do this and you're going to do this. Instead, they actually had to do some research and make some choices and own it and then go ahead and do the project. But since they chose, they were more invested in it. They enjoyed it more. The learning wasn't tedious. It had a point to them. So even though they were having to read about three or four different animals instead of just the one that you may have assigned them, they actually enjoyed it more and they they learned more from it because... They took ownership. They took ownership, yeah. So one thing that can really facilitate that when you're using layers of learning or any hands-on curriculum is if you have materials on hand at home, allow them to just choose a project on the fly. Like we we keep poster board on hand. I buy several sheets at the beginning of the year. And so we've got poster boards. So if they want to make a poster, there's the poster board. We live, we don't live in town. We live 30 minutes from the nearest store. So I don't just run to the store. Oh, let's go to the store and get this real quick, the stuff for your project. We have stuff on hand like, paper. I have all kinds of colored paper and cardstock so I can just, we can make notebooking pages on the fly. We have craft supplies. We have, we have things like that so that we, we have that ability to just immediately make choices. You don't have to have tons of stuff. Karen has tons of stuff. (laughs) I have tons of stuff. I do more projects than you do. Yeah. And I have really crafty kids and I'm really crafty. So I have tons of stuff because we use it a lot and I don't mind the jars of yeah i'm I'm, I'm looking i'm looking at this we're at karen's house we're right sitting now. in my school room so I'm, I'm looking at this carousel of pens she must have like a hundred different colors of this one set of pens i don't that's, know how many it is but it's a lot that's only my gel I, pen I collection have, i have black I have, <laughs> you should see my sharpie collection it's amazing i do have a few sharpie colors i have about <laughs> probably 200 sharpies at least because i love sharpies yeah, so Karen, Karen's an extremist, <laughs> but but I, I still 
find that having some supplies on hand where kids are able to choose, you have the tools already there. So it's not like a big strain or stress to let them pick between a poster and doing a PowerPoint presentation. You're not going to have to run to the store to get the stuff. That allows you to let kids own their learning if you have the materials that they need to make those choices. If everything's hard on you when they make a choice, if they say, I want to do this experiment and you have none of the materials on hand and you have to order everything and it takes two weeks, you're not going to do it. No, will say and, no. But I, I think some of the layers of learning, especially in the science, there will be special chemicals or things that you may need. That kind of thing, if, if you don't have that planned ahead and don't have the chemicals on hand, you can do one of two things. You can either say, nope, we can't do that one, or don't offer that choice in the first place. Or you can say, yes, we will do that, but let me plan it for two weeks from now because it's going to take some time to get the materials in. One of the really fun choices that I offer my kids is books. I have in my mind the books that I want them to be reading, and those aren't always the same books that they choose when we go to the library. So I discovered that at the beginning of each year, I can give my kids a gift, and that gift is a book bag full of the books that I want them to read. And it's actually like wrapped in wrapping paper, isn't it? Yes, I wrap the books and put them in a cute, colorful bag, and at the beginning of our school year, I give each kid their bag full of books, and throughout the course of the year, they get to read those books. That doesn't mean that those are the only books they read. I just give them usually four or five books that I would like them to read that year. And these are like classic novels or just really great fiction stories that I want them to read. I'm not giving them super heavy stuff that I need to comb through and, with And them. those are those are coordinated with the topics that you're covering during the year, right? I mean, so you... Some, but for example, last year, I really wanted my little daughter Isabel to read Charlotte's Web. I read it to her when she was really tiny because I was reading it aloud to all of the kids, but she was really pretty little. And I thought she would love this book. So I put that in there. And then I also had some, a few nonfiction books about some of the topics we were covering. We did United States history. So there are just a lot of really great books for kids about history. She had a little biography of Benjamin Franklin and several things like that. So some go along with our topics. Some are just literature that I think feel like at that age they should read and they might not just pick up on their own so it's a combination but I give them those books and I don't say you must read this book at this time and this book at this time they just have their bag of books that then sits at their school area and they can read them all first before they read library books or they can intermingle it but they kind of know by the end of the year they're supposed to have all of their books read I don't really check back on it and we don't have big lessons about it I just want them to be exposed to these great books. And so I present it as a gift and then let them choose their timeline and their way of doing it. And I leave them plenty of room for their own choices, their own books that aren't what I chose at all. So this is not exactly the same, but when I go to the library, I'll often get 20 books on a subject, just way more than we could ever cover. And then I just put it in our library basket and I say, okay, boys, I want you to choose a book out of here. And they've got 20 choices. And they can pick a book that appeals to them. And I also tell them, if you start the book and it's just really boring, it's okay to quit. Yeah, don't worry about it. it. You can pick a different one. It's fine. There are some things that you may really want them to finish, depending on your your goals for them at the time. And that's okay, too. But, but just kind of having a balance. And I don't always finish every book I pick up. 
I think especially when it comes to nonfiction books, which we get a lot of in our book basket because it's the nonfiction, you know, the true subjects that we're learning about in layers of learning. I often, very, very often do not read a book cover to cover. I just open it up and find interesting things or read a chapter here and there. If I really love the book, we keep on reading it. Often we'll just read about a subject within the book and then maybe the next day we'll pick up another book and read about a different subject. When we studied the Revolutionary War, I had so many books about it and they all basically talked about the same thing. So I'd take one book one day and we'd read a chapter and then the next day when we were learning about a different battle, for example, we'd pick up a different book from a different author and read about that battle from a new author. I'd say to the kids, go and pick a book. You go choose a book and we'll read some of it out of the book basket today. It doesn't have to be so structured that you have the perfect book and you make your child read it and it's all lined up. You don't need to worry about that. They're going to get a ton of information and be able to feel like they're a part of the choices and the decisions and that will help them to own that learning that really belongs to them. They are the student. Yeah, if, if you're force-feeding certain information to them or certain books to them on a regular basis, that's how they begin to hate reading. They hate history. They hate learning because they feel like, oh, I have to do it. But if you're letting them choose, my two oldest sons are especially voracious readers. They really, really love to read. And I never, ever had to tell them, you must read this book. They would read everything in the book basket, actually, because they, they read so much and so fast and so well. Not all of my kids are that fast at reading, but they all love to read, even my dyslexic kids. And I think it's mostly because I have let them choose what they want to read. Reading has been a fun thing. It's something that they're reading for their own entertainment, for, for things they're interested in, and that's how they own it. I want them to love books and not think of them as a chore. That's more important to me than them getting through a specific book. So I, I've always so left not, it pretty loose. You're not forcing it, Michelle. You're, you're letting, it's okay. If, if you're going to say they're going to own their own learning, it has to be okay with you. If sometimes that's not a perfect process, their learning might not be quite up to standard every moment, right? Yeah. And, and you still have standards, I still have, we have a timers actually, and I, I will say, okay, you have to read for 30 minutes today. You get to pick what you read. You can read anything, but yeah. you have to read for 30 minutes today. So you can still have standards while still maintaining choices. You can do both at the same time. Okay, besides being a guide and also offering a lot of choice to your kids, it's absolutely critical that you listen to them. If they are going to own their own learning, they have to be heard by their guide. Yeah, the point of learning is that you then develop your own ideas. And those ideas need an audience or they will stop having the ideas. So you get more of the things that you encourage, the things you give attention to. So if you want your children to have more ideas and to think for themselves and to be interested in their own learning, you're going to have to listen and give attention to their ideas when they're, when they're talking to you about them. So their ideas, the things that you're listening to, aren't always big, important, worldview, life-changing kinds of ideas. It doesn't just have to be the big things. You need to listen to their little ideas too. And we, we actually focus a lot or we spend a lot of time learning the little ideas of other people. So, for example, when you're learning about the Phoenicians and you find out that the Murex shell was the source of the Tyrian purple, 
that was so highly valued in the ancient world, it was worth more than gold. When you learn about that, is that really, does it really affect your worldview? Does it really matter? I mean, I guess you could come up with ways how, that it does. But honestly, it's just kind of a fun fact. It's just interesting. And, and it's okay to have a discussion with your kids about just fun, trivial things. And it doesn't even have to be something that you're learning in school. They could be telling you their ideas about their bike riding or just an experience they had with their friend. And you need to listen to those kinds of ideas too. If you want your kids to listen to you, you need to listen to them in their big ideas and their small ideas. My husband always says that we have two ears and one mouth. So that means we should listen twice as often as we talk. And I think that's a pretty good principle for a homeschool parent. Try one day to listen twice as much as you talk and see if you can accomplish it. Because if you can, that's a pretty good accomplishment. For me, I should probably even have a lower ratio because I have four kids to my one self. So I should probably be listening to each of them twice as much as I talk to each of them. If your kids aren't used to sharing their ideas and there are a lot of reasons why people might not be sometimes it's the environment that has been provided for them sometimes they're shy because they feel like they're going to be laughed at or whatever it is or maybe they just have never done it before they've just not really had a lot of deep thoughts or whatever whatever the situation is you can do certain things to draw them out and to help them learn to share ideas when you share your ideas you're actually learning more and you're growing as a person too, even if, even if they're the trivial ideas, I think. So one of the things we do that helps our kids get talking, very often at dinner time, we ask them some questions. And we have three basic questions that are kind of our standard ones that we ask that our kids know to expect. And it's kind of like a game that we have. But we say, what is the best part of your day? What was the worst part of your day? And what's something that you learned today? Those are our three questions. And then each kid takes a turn. Well, and mom and dad do too. My husband and I take our own turns. But we go around the table and each person gets to share that best part of their day, the worst part of their day, and something they learned. And during that time, they have the floor. That's not an interruption time or a big conversation time. That person is talking and everyone else is just listening. And I think they learn that you can be heard when you have, you know, they have valuable ideas to share and people will listen to them and it helps them to share more because they're heard. I think that's a great introductory way to ease kids into talking about their ideas and their thoughts. In layers of learning, we have a lot of sidebars that are called deep thoughts. And that's kind of the next step up. And you do this, this is a lot, in a lot of ways, it's more formal, although you can do it. You can introduce these topics in a conversational way not during school too but it'll be deep thoughts about things that are more worldview life-changing we we have a one of the deep thoughts talks about um your the burial rites of your culture i i think it, we, it was over we were talking about an ancient culture and talking about their burial rites i think it might have been egypt <laughs> i don't remember <laughs> anyway if you think about, we often don't consider our own culture. So you ask them, well, what do we do for our dead? What are some of the rituals we do? How do we bury them? And why do we do that? To think about that, like really makes you step back and you need to listen to their ideas though, instead of giving them the answers, you probably don't even necessarily know the answers and having that conversation helps you all work it out. 
And pretty soon they're able to come up with it. They start doing their own philosophy. They start thinking about their own philosophical questions without you having to ask them in the first place. So because I'm married to a pilot, we travel pretty often with our family. And it was really interesting after we came back from a vacation to Europe that happened to be about the same time that I was writing a unit on America. And I asked my kids, what's different about America than the other places that you've been? And we had visited a few countries in Europe, and they've also been to several Asian countries and around the world. So they were comparing what they saw versus what they live in America. And it was really, really interesting to hear what they had to say. One of the things that we experienced in one of the Asian countries was that no one came with our bill at the end of our dinner at a restaurant. They never came with the bill. And in America, the bill shows up before you're even done eating. It's, oh, yeah, they want their money. <laughs> the waiter or waitress, you know, the server is there, right and there. Actually, we get annoyed if they don't. We're like, yes. hey. So we were a little bit that, irritated. That's our culture. And yeah. We, in fact, we just went to Bali not too long ago, and they never brought our bills ever. We had to go up and find them, track someone down. And we finally asked our guide, we said, what's going on? Why don't they ever bring the bill? And he said, well, it's very rude there. It's like pushing someone out the door. You don't ever do that because they're saying that they don't want you here anymore. That wouldn't be hospitable. And in America, that's completely different. But we never considered it. It's not rude for us. It would be rude to not bring we're, the bill. Yeah, because we're more anxious to get out the door. I think we have yeah. a very hurried culture. And yes. So, yeah. We're always looking at our watch. But, but to, have, to have that discussion with your kids, to point that out, all of a sudden they see something about their own culture. And about that, themselves. And about themselves that, that they were blind to a minute ago. Yes. You know? And so it doesn't matter how big or small the conversations are. They can really lead to interesting thoughts and ideas and realization about yourself and about the world and cultures and people and whatever it is you're coming across. And it, it's important to provide opportunities for those conversations. The other day I was running. I run to not get too fat. And <laughs> <laughs> you love running. It's not I, just I do. For that. I do love running. I enjoy she's, running. She's I've been running all her life. I've been running since I was fourteen. But anyway, <laughs> I was running, and my son CJ was riding on his bike, and he was like going along with me. It was it was a very slow bike ride for him. I was sitting there, you know, I'm breathing, <sighs> so I I can't talk right and. And he's riding his bike and he starts telling me about all these philosophical ideas he's had. And mom, I think this is why people do this. And, and he was just explaining this stuff. And all I could do is go, uh-huh. I mean, that was the full length of my replies because I was breathing. And, <laughs> and he just had this opportunity where we were together. It was just the two of us. And he could just talk to me. You were all ears because you couldn't talk. I couldn't talk. <laughs> Being out of breath has its benefits, huh? (laughs) Well, we do that at bedtime, too, and we take our kids on dates. It's really important to provide opportunities where you are listening. Really truthfully, we could talk completely about just how to listen in homeschool, but we have our homes set up so that all of the hours of our day are school in, in a very real way. We're not sitting at the table doing workbooks, but we're always considering how can we learn, how can we communicate, how can we talk with our kids, and that's a continual thing that doesn't have a beginning and an end schedule like a normal school day might. When you really listen to your kids and they have a platform where where someone cares about their ideas, 
it makes it so it feels to them like the things they learned all of a sudden matter. It feels like, oh, this wasn't a waste of my time. Someone's listening. My ideas count. I can start to make a contribution. I'm being heard. Yeah. You've got an audience. You're, you're able to perform. It's like when you've worked at a sport really hard, if you, all you did ever did was practice and there was never a game, it wouldn't be very rewarding. <laughs> or memorized all the lines of a play, but you never actually performed the play. Yeah, and that, that's kind of the same way. All this knowledge you're learning, it's when you're able to share those ideas that it's kind of the reward. That's the payoff. That someone else is listening to all the stuff that you have been thinking. And it also encourages those thoughts in the first place. So the, the guide really gets to offer choices and then listen to the ideas of your kids. We really hope that you will take these ideas and take them into your family and your homeschool and become a guide for your kids. It's going to be a rewarding step forward for you and really get them involved as the learners, not you just being the teacher. Thanks so much for joining us. So we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Come and visit us at layersoflearning.com and on our Facebook group. Make sure to tune in next month for our new podcast. In the meantime, we wish you happiness in your homeschool. Have Have fun fun learning. learning!